Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Everybody, opening day has arrived, and we are super pumped here at the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Michael Beller, Derek Van Riper here with you on opening day. As Derek and I are sitting here, it is uh, 10.30 in the morning in the one true legitimate time zone, the central time zone in the United States and Canada and Mexico for that uh, for that matter. But uh, that's where we are where we are right now. So we are, what, about 90 minutes or so away from uh, the first pitch of the 2021 season being thrown. We are very excited, and we are going to celebrate opening day by making some bold predictions for the season. Derek, I mean, I never thought it until last year that I would love April baseball as much as I do today. But, man, I am just so pumped to be sitting down on April 1st, watching baseball games, uh, this this day could not have arrived any sooner than it did. No, I really couldn't have. I was having a blast during draft season, getting drafts in until the very last minute. Just finished my very last one a few minutes before we started recording, so it has been a very hectic March. I'm glad we flipped the calendar to April, and glad we're finally at the point where we're going to have some games that begin to count. I want to find out if all of these rosters I've been building are any good, and <laughs> we're not going to know right away, but we'll know within the first month if some of the things that I was hoping for are actually going to materialize. Yeah, we'll definitely have a good feel for that about a month into the season. Of course, if you are out there either watching us on YouTube or just listening on Spotify, iTunes, anything like that, and you want to get in on all the uh, MLB fun that we are going to be bringing to you here at The Athletic all season, right now is the time to do it. $1 a month subscription at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. So be sure to do that. We uh, are very excited across the entire organization about the start of the baseball season. Derek? Let's do it, man. I mean, this is like the one time of year where it's like we sort of just in our world, we can just all we can really do is sit back and wait. Right. I mean, drafts are done. So we have no more draft strategy to share. Nothing has happened yet in the season. So it's not like we can react to even a weekend's worth of games. Like we're just sitting here on opening day waiting for baseball to start in this uh, sort of period of just being able to do exactly what you and I are going to do today, and that's get some predictions on the record. So we can just beat these back and forth with one another. I'm going to let you start. Give us any one of your bold predictions for the 2021 season. I'm going to get this one out of the way right away because people are so sick of hearing me talk about Victor <laughs> Robles that I, I don't want to – I don't want to – Drop that 30 minutes into this episode. I think Victor Robles will exceed Starling Marte's rotisserie value this season. And that's not me saying Starling Marte is old and is going to fall apart. It's me saying that 
by this time next year, when we get to the end of the 2022 draft season, we're going to look at Robles the way we look at Marte now. And we're probably going to look at Robles a little more favorably because he's going to be so much younger. He'll be 25 next season. We're going to see some power. I think we're going to see a lot of speed. I think he's going to get back to doing all of the things that made him such a good fantasy player in 2019. And he's so young. He's getting those opportunities to lead off this season in D.C. That changes things quite a bit, too. Even if he's moving between first and eighth in the order, depending on the handedness of the opposing pitcher, he's going to lead off more this season than he did two years ago. And he was a great fantasy player two years ago, stuck in the bottom third of that Nats lineup. I know the StatCast page is covered in blue ink, but we're talking about a guy who's young, who has a good hit tool, and actually does drive the ball effectively enough to be a consistent 12 to 15 homer guy at this point in his career with a ceiling of maybe being a 20 homer guy. If you told me his peak season's a 20 homer, 40 steal season, I, of all people, am definitely not fighting back on that. I think that's absolutely possible. I hope it happens. I have him a lot of places. I did start to back away a little bit at the end of draft season because the price shot up compared to where it was back in January. Uh, but I still think Victor Robles is going to be one of those breakout players. We're going to look back and say, wow, I can't believe he was going in the 125 to 140 range when draft season started. And I think he's still going to be a little bit of a value in that 75 to 90 range where he's often been going here in these last couple of weeks. Yeah, a few weeks ago or a month ago or so, you were probably uh, not quite alone on Robles Island, but you didn't have very many uh, people to hang out with. I think that's changed as uh, as we've gotten closer to uh, into the heart of draft season and people were really saying like, wait a minute. This guy's so young. He had such a good 2019. The skill set is obvious. And I, I, one of the guys who I think people ultimately became pretty comfortable with throwing 2020 in the garbage and moving on to 2021 with, I'm right there with you. I actually didn't end up with him in, in my leagues of record, uh, but that was not because of not wanting him. Just That's how it works sometimes, right? Things just don't fall your way when you're looking at a specific player. So I think Victor Robles uh, is definitely going to be someone who is talked about in 2022 draft circles, like you say, along the lines of the way we talked about a prime Starling Marte. Not sure I can fully join you on this uh, bold prediction of him out earning Starling Marte, but definitely think that the spirit of your prediction is headed in the right direction. Uh, let's see, what do I want to do? You know what? I'll take it from one Marte to another. I think we see a big bounce back season from Cattell Marte. And uh, by big bounce back season, I think he ultimately ends the year as a top three second baseman. And uh, we know he's going to play outfield and he's going to bounce around a little bit for the Diamondbacks. But I think that uh, that he is someone who is another guy that we can take 2020 and basically throw it away. I look a lot more at his 2019 numbers as being instructive as to the type of player that Cattell Marte is. And I think there's going to be plenty of power. I think there's going to be plenty of speed. He's not moving from the top of that Arizona lineup. So I think there's going to be uh, plenty of runs scored when we're just talking about his straight up roto value. But more importantly, I just think he is a very good player. I think he's a legitimately good hitter. And I think he's someone who built up enough of a track record with what he did in 2019 and his previous minor league experience to say that 2020 was just a bad sample. A lot of guys had a bad sample that happened to represent a full season in 2020, and I'm comfortable saying that with Cattell Marte. 2019 was not this, 
out of nowhere season from him. Maybe in the uh, extremeness of how good he was, it was a little bit of out of nowhere, but it's not like he totally came out of the blue. Cattell Marte had hinted at being that type of player uh, in his minor league career, never quite broke through in the majors, and then it finally came together for him entirely in 2019. So I see him getting back to that level this season. And I think a top three season at second base is well within his reach, given the power-speed combo, given the on-base skills, and given the fact that I think he's going to be able to score a whole lot of runs atop that Arizona order. Yeah, I keep wondering with Cattell Marte if we'll ever get more than 10 steals in a season, even when he was Mm -hmm. showing less power. We weren't getting a lot more than that, so maybe that's sort of a cap. But I don't think what he did in 2019 was a fluke either. I think he's a guy that puts a ton of balls in play, and he makes hard contact. That was the thing that really unlocked all that power in 2019. So I do like him where he's going. I think he's kind of next to Jose Altuve in a lot of drafts. I feel like I prefer Marte, and Altuve is always the consolation prize if I'm uh, trying to not have a hole at second base. I I think it's a position that falls off pretty quickly again this year. Um, So I'm I'm in with you on Marte. I I don't know if he gets all the way back to that level, but I have liked him where he's been going throughout this draft season. Another guy who ended up being relatively easy to like, and another guy like Robles, who felt like he was a little bit of a late spring climber in drafts when people uh, started just throwing 2020 away and accepting the 2019 numbers at face value. All right, DBR, bold prediction number two. What do you got here for us? So this is one that I probably planted the seeds for uh, just a about two months ago, I think there's going to be at least three UT-only players that top $25 in rotisserie value this year. Basically, three that are going to easily be top 40 hitters at season's end. I guess they'd probably make it even more like top 40 players overall in terms of overall value. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, for me, is a special hitter. I know we're all worried about the health of his knees, but it's only going to be health that keeps him from reaching that level in 2021. John Carlos Stanton still has crazy good batted ball numbers and that lineup that park that gives him so much cushion if he could just get to 130 or 135 games this year I think Stanton could finish in that group as well JD Martinez seems like a great bounce back candidate for me I think it's most likely to be those three but Mm -hmm. I get the cushion if I say it's three UT only players that means I also (laughs) get Nelson Cruz if he's still amazing even at his advanced age and I can't rule that out Uh, it includes Fran Mil Reyes possibly popping as a $25 guy in the heart of that Cleveland lineup I mean I believe in the power there the run production should be good I think he's a high volume player so I think there are a lot of ways for this prediction or this bold prediction to hit but I'm fairly confident in this one because those guys can all mash and it's only a question of health. So for me, three UT only players finishing with at least $25 in Roto value is uh, among my bold predictions for this season. All right, here's here's what I was hinting at when you and I were talking about this specific prediction before we got going. Uh, you mentioned him. You didn't include Nelson Cruz as one of the uh, top three. He's the first guy who jumps out at me in this group, and that's really no disrespect to the other three guys. It's just a, a recognition of what Nelson Cruz has done here as he's gotten into his late 30s. And this is I, I feel the same way about him that I did David Ortiz at the end of his career. I feel like if a drop-off was going to happen – it would have already happened. And mm-hmm. so I don't see Nelson Cruz dropping off. Um, do you have concerns with that, considering that, yes, you have the cushion, but you didn't name him as the three guys who you're really looking at to satisfy this prediction? Yeah, I mean, Cruz was perfectly draftable at the price for me, so I, I think 
he easily could do it. I think the reason why I'm less confident in him is purely age. And I read the piece that Dan Hayes wrote about him recently with uh, the naps and the way he takes care of himself, the way he prepares. It really doesn't seem like he's going to fall off in, in sort of a, a crossing sports for a moment, like a Tom Brady sort of way. It's like mm-hmm. he's just going to be good until he decides he's not playing anymore. It's yeah. not going to be he loses it and then doesn't get to play anymore. Uh, that's how I feel about Nelson Cruz at this point, but we just haven't seen a player quite like him in this era. So I'm rooting for him. Ortiz. I wanted to be part of this. Well, Ortiz wasn't even quite this old. Like that's that's the thing. Like Cruz is on the wrong side of forty now, right? So like this is pretty this is pretty unique at this point. Like he was in the Ortiz range for the last couple of years. And I thought I thought Ortiz was going to come back and and do it again, but Nelson Cruz turns forty one in July. So eventually it catches up to everybody. So that's that little bit of doubt I have about Cruz is really just that age number, but he's showing us age is just a number. So that last season that David Ortiz played, he was 40 years old. Uh, he, it was his age 40 season, and he turned 40. Yeah, he was already 40 the year before he, his birthday's in November. Uh, 315, 401, 620, 38 homers, 127 RBIs. That's <laughs> that so is, ridiculous. It's nuts. And then he's like, yeah, I'll go out. I'll go out as a 41-year-old on that season. Just ridiculous. I don't think Nelson Cruz matches that, but I do think that he is following this David Ortiz path. So he's someone who I absolutely love, and I do actually have Nelson Cruz in a couple of uh, of my more important leagues. Um, you know, I'm going to go – I'm going to throw out my my version of your Victor Robles is Yoan Moncada. People have heard me talk about him quite a bit this offseason. Uh, I just think, I mean, again, I don't mean to be a broken record, but you want to talk about throwing out 2020. I mean, Yoan Moncada, I think, is the guy. If there was one guy who I'm throwing out 2024, if you told me I had to take every other player's numbers as what they were and I could ignore any just one player, it's not even going to be Christian Yelich. It's going to be Yoan Moncada. Moncada was so vocal about how much having COVID-19 affected him, how much it took away, just sapped his energy, felt like he had no power, just didn't feel like himself. And the guy still played 52 regular season games and was out there uh, for the White Sox in the postseason. I mean, he really didn't miss any time, but he was just very clearly not himself. And you saw it in the numbers. 225, 320, 385 slugging percentage. We're talking about a guy who the year before had a slash of 315, 367, 548. Hit 25 home runs. I mean, that was the player who he was supposed to be coming up through Boston system. Even back in 2018, when he didn't have the greatest slash numbers, hit 17 homers and 650 plate appearances as a 23-year-old. You could see that he was starting to turn the corner in 2018, turned it completely in 2019, and then 2020 happened. And that just doesn't happen to a guy who has... Yoan Moncada's pedigree in his physical prime at 25 years old, you don't just suddenly regress that extremely without there being something that explains it. And the COVID-19 definitely explains it for Yoan Moncada. I think he picks up in 2021 right where he left off in 2019. So how does that manifest itself for me as a bold prediction? Top five third baseman. I was treating him as a top five third baseman. I did not have to take him as a top five third baseman, but that's how I felt about Yoan Moncada, and I think he easily gets into that group this season. One of my absolute favorite players to draft. If there was someone who was a, I am not leaving this draft without him guy for me this year, it was Yoan Moncada. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, what he did in 2019 was a massive step forward. He's always controlled the zone really well, even though there's plenty of swing and miss in his game. When he makes contact, it's very hard contact. And I think 
He's more athletic than people realize. They might see the power numbers and think, oh, he's a third baseman. He hits the ball hard. He doesn't run that well. That's not true. He actually runs pretty well also. Uh, I think you could look at 2019 and say, yeah, the batting average wasn't coming back, but the power was real. The lineup around him is better. There are plenty of reasons to like him. And as you said, he was very clear about how much uh, COVID impacted him throughout last season as well. So I think he is due for a nice bounce back. And I think he was one of the reasons some people were not as high on the likes of Alex Bregman and Anthony Rendon as I was in my rankings and my approach this draft season because people would say, why would I take Rendon in the third round or Bregman even in the fourth round of a 12-team league if I can get Moncada in the sixth or the seventh? And I understand that. Um, The... For me, the difference is that you're getting even more floor from both those other two guys. I think you're getting a higher batting that. average. Like th- that's worth that's mm-hmm. worth the extra rounds. I-, I think Mankata was a great option if you missed on those guys and you really liked them. Then Mankata was a perfectly fine alternative a couple rounds later. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I do think you're right to be in on Mankata for a bounce back this year. Yeah, I've got him as a top five guy, and as high as I am on him, I'm not saying a top one third baseman, and those are two of the guys who I think uh, are ahead of him for sure, and guys who I would have taken, not only, probably not only at price, but even just, uh, I mean, not only in a a vacuum and at uh, all things being equal, but even at price, I think you probably could have talked me into Bregman or Rendon over Moncada, but still feel very good about Moncada being uh, my go-to third baseman this season. Uh, DVR, I'm looking at your predictions. Why don't you take us to uh, the pitching world and give us one of uh, your bold predictions on the mound? Yeah, I mean, I think Tyler Glass now is going to finish top three in AL Cy Young voting. And if you look at the odds, it's not that much of a bold prediction. I think he's fourth in terms of AL pitchers to win the award at plus 800 over at BetMGM. I think I just wanted to bring it up because for Tyler Glass now, it it seems like we have some misconceptions about how the Rays use him. If you look at what they've done when he's healthy, they let him pitch as deep into games as he effectively pitches. It's not about limiting him because they don't think he can get through the order a third time. It's he got the pitch count too high because sometimes he loses command and had to come out in the fifth inning. So I see him as having everything you're looking for in an ace. He has arm injuries in his past, makes him a little bit scary. It's part of the reason why he wasn't priced up like a top 10 pitcher in most leagues. I had him at 14 in my final set of rankings going into the season. I think he's a little bit like Brandon Woodruff, where it's just the prove you can do it for a full season sort of year from glass now, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he could do everything you want. He could be among the league leaders and strikeouts. The ratios could be outstanding and the wins could be there as well. So uh, I could, I could see glass now finishing top three among AL Cy, which again, maybe isn't the boldest of predictions, but don't overlook the way the rays have actually used Tyler glass. Now when he's completely healthy, the restrictions on him are not necessarily as strict as you think. I think we also have that recency bias of, the Blake Snell's exit in the World Series. And we just think, that's how the Rays handle everyone all the time. And it's like, no, that's not how they handle everyone all the time. There are some exceptions. And I think Tyler Glass now is looking more and more like an exception to me. Yeah, the, the AL side field is very strange, totally different from where we find the NL. Garrett Cole up top, Shane Bieber next, Lucas Giolito next. No surprise there. Then you've got Glass now. They're the only three guys who have less than double-digit-to-one odds 
Then you've got Hun Jin Ru at 10 to 1, Jose Barrios, Lance Lynn, Corey Kluber, and Kenta Maeda at 20 to 1. Like, it's a strange field. Uh, and I think Glasnow uh, not only uh, could be inside the top three, but uh, maybe even comes away as the AL uh, Cy Young Award winner at 8-1. to one. If you can still sneak that in, depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> wouldn't be the worst bet to make. Uh, definitely like that. And I think it's a good point about the Rays not necessarily being a cookie-cutter organization when it comes to the way they use their pitchers. They often get branded like that, but it's not always true, and we've seen that in the way they've used Glasnow since he has been there from Pittsburgh. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, DVR, I'm going to stick uh, at the uh, in the mound as well. I'm going to go over to the National League where I find my bold prediction, Ian Anderson. I'm going to say he finishes in the top five. Top five of NL Cy Young voting. I think he wins the, the Rookie of the Year, and uh, he actually has like the fourth best odds to win Rookie of the Year in the National League, which I was more than happy to take. Yeah, uh, third best now, according to BetMGM. Cabrian Hayes is plus 350, Sixto Sanchez plus 500. Then you find Ian Anderson at plus 700. Just a couple of days ago, he was behind Dylan Carlson, who's now sitting at plus 900. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with the Cy Young. And we, as I said, this is a crowded category. Jacob DeGrom, Trevor Bauer, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Hugh Darvish, Aaron Nola, Luis Castillo, Blake Snell, Jack Flaherty. The National League is loaded. So is he going to get into the top one or two? Uh, I think that'd be a little bit of a stretch, but I love what this guy did last season. And again, I always come back to if a guy has the pedigree that Ian Anderson has, that everyone agrees he has, he basically never struggled in his entire lead up to the majors last year. He comes into the majors and he is exactly the pitcher as advertised as he was when the Braves first got him, as he was in the Braves minor league system. And then when he arrives in the majors, basically every single step along the way, Ian Anderson has been exactly this top level ace that he is expected to be. I just think that talent wins out in a big way uh, more often than not. And when we have never seen the talent get interrupted the way that it has been the the path for Ian Anderson, I don't see any reason to, to believe or to think that it is going to get interrupted. Obviously, baseball is a game of adjustments. Hitters are going to get a better look at him. He didn't really pitch against anyone outside of his own division last year, so hitters are going to get a better look at him. He's going to have to see a wider array of hitters this season. They're going to adjust, but again, with him, with that Braves organization, I don't think there's any reason we shouldn't trust in his ability to adjust back. He's going to have the sort of numbers that Cy Young voters love to see. He's going to strike out a ton of batters. With that team, he's going to win a lot of games so long as he doesn't fall into DeGrom-style luck with his offense and his bullpen. And I just don't see any reason why we should expect that. Like, every single box here is going to be checked by Ian Anderson. Top five, I know, is a little bit of a stretch given the strength of this uh, league and given the fact that we haven't seen him for a full season. But I think he can do it. So give me Ian Anderson, a top five NL Cy Young Award getter. You know, it definitely wins for boldness compared to me choosing the guy who's almost <laughs> top three based on odds, making the top three on the AL side uh, with like 15 NL pitchers probably 
all being candidates for the top five like already just based on where the odds are and, and how good those guys have proven to be mm-hmm. over multiple years so uh, I I am not quite as high on Anderson as you are I was a little concerned about the walk rates in the upper levels of the minor leagues so I've missed out on him this year if you are right it's going to hurt me in pretty much every <laughs> single league because he's not helping my teams he's only working against me so I'm really curious to see uh, if you're dead on with this or if you're mostly right or if I'm entirely wrong but uh, either way it's um, it's one of those players that I'm I'm not on so that always makes me nervous when someone has that kind of ceiling yeah he definitely has that ceiling and I love that I mean I've talked to you about this a few times but it's such a high ceiling rotation like there's a way where everything goes right for the Braves and we're talking about them winning like 104 games this season because of what we know that offense is going to be and because of what that rotation can be if Anderson, if I'm right about him, if Soroka's back in April and healthy, if Max Fried can take the next step, if Drew Smiley stays healthy, I mean, there is a very high ceiling to that Atlanta rotation. So excited to see that team get underway later today. Uh, why don't you take us back to the bounce back category of guys here who are falling into our bold predictions. One here jumping out at me on your list. Yeah, I mean, I've got Jose Altuve finishing top five in AL MVP voting, and he's plus 5,000 at BetMGM. So I think there are... Looks like maybe 20 guys with better odds in the American League, including one of his teammates who I really like, and Alex Bregman at, at plus 1,000. Carlos Correa's in there at plus 4,000. Kyle Tucker's got the same odds at plus 5,000. Jordan Alvarez is plus 3,500. Doesn't that just give you all the sense in the world that the Astros are still really good and a force to be reckoned <laughs> does, with? Yes. <laughs> like they're projected to win the division. I think Astros Angels could be really fun, but I think the Astros are the better team. I think they're getting the good news on Framber Valdez. We don't know how good that is and when exactly he's coming back, but that's still Houston's division to lose. And I think with Altuve, a little bit like the Cattell Marte, where it's like the projections are still really good. I don't expect him to steal a lot of bases, but he can do all the things that MVP voters care about. And those are mostly things that we care about as fantasy players, too. I mean, right. if Altuve even bounces back to 2019 to hit 298, and he gets even close to 30 homers, with the run production he'll have being at or near the top of that Houston lineup, could easily score 100 runs, could drive in 70 or 80, even if he's leading off, because that team will score so much. That's a huge bounce back from Altuve. And then maybe you get a half dozen bags, and even if you don't, everything else he did was more than worth where he was at. And if the numbers are that good and Houston's a good team, he's going to be right there when writers are filling out those ballots at the end of the year. So this is as much a Jose Altuve bounce back endorsement as it is an actual bold prediction. But top five in MVP voting on the AL side wouldn't surprise me at all. And at those odds especially, it might be a fun bet to make too. You know what? I'm going to take that baton and just run with it right here. I've got another guy who I say top five AL MVP also sitting at plus 5,000. And it's Randy Arozarena. I think that this this sort of falls into exactly what I just talked about with Ian Anderson. And it's a little different, I guess, in that Arozarena is a lot older. Arozarena, it didn't have the uh, sort of pedigree that Ian Anderson did. But he is someone who had a very good finish to his uh, minor league career, still back with St. Louis. You go back to the 2019 season, blew everyone away at the AA level, moves up to the AAA level, 358, 435, 593, 12 homers, 9 steals, and 283 appearances. Everything that you could have asked for and more. And then everyone remembers what he did last year with the Rays in the 23 games and 76 plate appearances he got in the regular season, and then even more so the fact that he was the best player 
in the playoffs. I mean, I think that he probably ends up uh, as the uh, MVP, maybe, of the World Series if he if the Rays ultimately end up winning that. I mean, just what a run he had in the playoffs. It was remarkable. And I think that you take what he has done in the majors, uh, both with the Rays last year in the regular season, the Rays in the playoffs, and even go back to what he did in 2019 with the Cardinals. I'm not going to get too crazy about it. It was 23 plate appearances. But he had a homer, 300, 391, 500. I mean, again, a guy who has basically done everything that could be asked of him. I think we can take what he did at face value and project it forward for a full season. You're not going to see that in any of the projections. That's just not how projection systems work. It's not how they're built to work, and I totally get it. It makes sense. But sometimes we need to go outside of that, and sometimes we need to trust what our eyes tell us. And our eyes told us last year that against AL East pitching, for the most part, and NL East pitching, very good pitching, and then against the best pitching in the postseason, Randy Arozarena looked like a top 10 player in Major League Baseball. So I will say that part of this is wanting to get in on plus 5,000 odds, but I also think that what we saw from him is too believable to not be true. It was too good for him to regress to the levels that projection systems think he is going to get to. I think Rosa Arena puts it all together for a full season this year. Another guy who I was very happy to target at cost, as crowded as that AL MVP race is going to be, still feel very good about him ending up as a top five AL MVP vote getter. Yeah, he could absolutely be there. I think he's definitely on my list of players I'm really curious to see at the beginning of the season because I want to see if teams can pitch him differently. I want to see if they can give him more breaking pitches, more off-speed stuff, and I want to see how he responds because how he adjusts to that is going to really shape what his 2021 season looks like. I think he's a fun, long-odds bet. I think he was a guy that going in the fourth, fifth round of a lot of 10, 12-team leagues this year uh, could do everything, could end up being the kind of guy that's going in the first or second round this time next year. That wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. And I've got one more uh, bold prediction that it, it just kind of caught my eye because I'm looking at odds as we're we're talking about this. Yeah, Player, player to have most saves just kind of grabbed my attention. And I hadn't thought about this as a prop bet before. I see Will Smith sitting there at plus 3,500. And the first thought I had was, that could happen. And the second thought I had was, I like him a lot, and I don't have him very many places because <laughs> closer runs are weird. In snake yep. drafts especially, you don't have a lot of control over which closer you get because it, it doesn't take much for someone else to just take the guy you want. He was right on that borderline for me as a top 10 possible closer. The Braves gave him a lot of money. They obviously went with Mark Melanson last year in that spot, but he's gone. I think there's a clear gap between Smith and, and Chris Martin and A.J. Minter and some of the other good relievers in that pen. If I had to make a bet on player to have most saves, it's not a category that I would seek out for a prop bet ordinarily. <laughs> Will Smith meets the criteria. Good skills, splits against lefties and righties are good. Uh, has done it before, too, in San Francisco, so it's not like he'd be a first-time closer for a full season. And he's on a great team. He's on a Braves team that could be a 95-win team. They could win the AL East. He could be their closer from start to finish this year. So good skills, good splits. Opportunity could be his from start to finish and long odds. And I'm just bummed I don't have him more places given the state of the closer pool in general. So my bold prediction, instead of saying he's going to lead the league in saves, even though that'd be a fun prop bet to make, I'm going to say Will Smith finishes top three in MLB in saves this season. You know what you love about Will Smith in this in this regard is the fact that 
you know, with a lot of closers, even the, some of the best ones are going to be either challenged for their jobs or are going to be on teams where the manager and pitching coach just have a proclivity to share things and to use some of their better relievers in higher leverage situations. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that necessarily the latter isn't going to happen in Atlanta, but I could certainly see Brian Snicker just sticking to Will Smith as his ninth inning guy for the entire season. And it doesn't seem as though he is going to be challenged for the ninth inning role without some of his own doing. It feels as though he would have to slip up more than once early on in the season for him to really feel the heat of someone else breathing down his neck. And so that helps. I mean, in a world where saves are starting to flatten and where we're seeing more guys get, you know, eight saves in a season than we've ever seen before in teams that have multiple dudes with eight or 10 saves, Atlanta could be one of these teams that does lean on one traditional guy. Will Smith would be that guy if that ends up happening. And as you said, we should expect this team to win a whole lot of games. So I like that one, DVR. I'm on board with you being a top three <laughs> save guy in Will Smith. And now that I think about it, I don't think I have him anywhere. Which is so which is I, you know, I was all over the Braves this offseason, but I don't think I have Will Smith anywhere. So um, you know, now now you're you're bumming me out an hour before opening <laughs> days set to begin, and now I'm having a little bit of buyer's remorse not ending up with Will Smith anywhere. All right, DVR, I am going to, uh, let's see, where do I want to go? I've got a couple more here. Let's go two more apiece. Where do I want to go? Where do I want to go? I'm going to go with one of the positional ones. I'm going to say 14 shortstops. 14 shortstops finish among the top 60 hitters. Now, I did a little bit of rough math before this. We have 14 shortstops among the top 120 in terms of uh, ADP. This is just overall. So I went through, I counted up how many pitchers there were inside that top 120 at the end of the season ADP. There were 43, 43 starters and relievers. So there are 74 hitters. Uh, who are going inside that top group, of which 14 are shortstops. So I'm going to say 14 of them, instead of being in the top 74, sneak into the top 60. And I'm not just talking about guys who qualify at shortstop DVR. I'm talking legit dudes who are out there in real-life baseball playing shortstop every single day. Obviously, some of these guys you know, not going to be controversial whatsoever. Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, Bo Bichette. Corey Seager, uh, everyone expects that from those guys. I think Xander Bogarts, Tim Anderson, they get there as well. Javier Baez, uh, I think uh, even with the, the injury that he has, that when we talk about roto value, Alberto Mondesi probably still going to end up there. The guys who rounded out for me, I think Dansby Swanson does it. I think Carlos Correa does it. I think Marcus Semien does it. And I think I miss Gleyber Torres. So Gleyber Torres is going to be in that group as well. So really, I guess the three that would maybe be making people raise an eyebrow would be Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, and Marcus Semien. But I love what all those guys can do. And a big thing that those three guys have in common, awesome lineups. Atlanta, Houston, Toronto. These guys are going to have RBI opportunities. They're going to have run scoring opportunities. I expect all three of them to hit somewhere in the 22 to 26 home run range. And they're going to be out there every single day because all these guys can pick it with the glove. I mean, none of them is at any sort of risk of losing playing time. So I like all three of them. This is actually an area of the draft where I was really targeting to get a shortstop because you see those three, Swanson, Correa, Semyon, all come off the board within a similar round, round and a half range. And I just felt very good about all of them. And you had a big drop-off from like Tim Anderson, Glaber Torres, Javier Baez. They were draft day neighbors. And then a big drop to these three guys. And I wasn't turning my nose up 
at Fernando Tatis or Francisco Lindor if I could get them, but I was comfortable at the shortstop position. It didn't feel urgent because of those three guys who round out that position. I think they all end up as top 60 hitters and give this shortstop position 14 hitters inside the top 60. Yeah, I think a big key to all of this, too, is that teams don't platoon at shortstop. Those guys are all really good players. A lot of them steal bases, too. Uh, So I see it. I'm totally on board. I think shortstops have become regular middle infield fielders, and even more recently, they've become UT options in some leagues, depending on how the board falls or depending on how an auction plays out. So uh, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think we're at a, a great spot in terms of baseball history with the quality of young shortstops or young-ish shortstops in the game right now. Uh, so I, I, I totally see it. And um, yeah, I think of the players you mentioned, one guy that I felt like was consistently undervalued this draft season was Gleyber Torres. I know a lot of the, the damage he did in 2019 came against the Orioles and people make a lot of that. But look, this is a guy that's in a good lineup, in a good park, He's still very young, could still get better. Another high 30s home run season for Glaber Torres is absolutely possible. But yeah, your your broader prediction there, I have no pushback on that whatsoever. I think this is a really great group of shortstops in the league right now. Being the infield nerd that I am as well, like I think the coolest play in sports is like a really awesome infield play, a shortstop ranging way to his left, dive, you know, roll over, make a great throw. Like, that's my favorite sort of highlight play in all of sports. So being the infield dork that I am, I would love to then see these guys also bring it with the stick in this way. So fingers crossed that that one ends up coming true. Um, I miscounted. We actually have just one left apiece. So give us your final prediction, then I'll give us mine. You know, initially I was going to say Joey Gallo will lead the league at homers this season. And I don't think it's quite bold enough because the first thing you think of with Step Joey Gallo is, is power, right? <laughs> like, And he's, he's fifth favorite, plus 1,600. It's like, okay, that, that's a, kind of in like the glass now vein. I can't, I can't get by with that. Here's my bold prediction. Mike Moustakis is going to finish top five in the league in home runs. He's... Mike Moustakis is plus 8,000 to lead the league in home runs. Obviously, there are so many ways that can go wrong because there's so many guys that could just hit more. He could just get hurt. He could be really good and, and still not be there. But Moustakis, look back at what he has done in recent years. 35 homers during his only full season with the Brewers. That was in 584 plate appearances. He hit 38 homers in Kansas City in 2017, and he's still just 32 he wasn't healthy last year's first year in Cincinnati. That's still a great park for home runs. He doesn't even have to be a better all-around real-life player to right. hit a few more home runs. He could just get that little Cincinnati bump where things just break the right way, and he hits 45, and 45 could lead the league. So I'm on Moustakis. I think that's a really cool long shot sort of bet. I think he could hit 40 for the first time this year and maybe get lucky and get to 45. I think he's going to be right there among the league leaders in home runs. So I liked him as kind of a fringy top 100 bounce back candidate this year. A lot of those in that range. We talked about Cattell. We talked about Altuve. Moustakis was in there too. I kind of saw him as a, a fallback option. If you were looking at Max Muncy and you missed out, Moustakis could have been a solution there. Uh, and he had multi-position eligibility to begin the season. Plus he's going to get third base back. So he's going to be first, second, and third within maybe the first full week of games, which is really nice to have. So I'm here for the Mike Moustakis uh, rebound. 
You know, our buddy uh, Michael Waterloo is with you, too. We just did a uh, homers-only draft league that we snuck in under the gun here at The Athletic. We'll talk about that every now and again here on our podcast, and I'm sure uh, Nando will be writing about it a little bit. Uh, we just did it yesterday, and uh, Michael Waterloo, with the second overall pick, second overall pick in that draft, took Mike Moustakis. Wow. So he is right there with you. Mike Trout went first to uh, our pal Ian Khan. Every other player other than Mike Trout on the board, Michael Waterloo, Grab Mike Moustakis, so you are definitely not alone in believing in Moose leading the league in home runs. One more prediction before we call it an opening day episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is from me. I am saying that Dom Smith will finish the year as a top 10 first baseman. He's going to be playing a whole lot of outfield mostly for the Mets. He still qualifies at first base, however. Uh, would love to see the DH uh, be a thing, and so we don't have to worry about him uh, getting the playing time, but... Frankly, I'm, I'm really not worried about it. Um, I think his playing time concerns are overblown for a number of reasons. First of all, look at who we're talking about having to get into the lineup to push Dom Smith out. I mean, are we really going to be squeezing Dom Smith out so we can get Jonathan VR plenty of playing time or <laughs> Albert Almora plenty of playing time or Kevin Pillar? Like, I think those guys are really nice fillers uh, for the back end of the roster, but I don't think they're the sort of guys who you demand playing time for. And even if we are talking about VR, who I think is the one of the three who probably needs the most playing time on this Mets team, like why would it be Dom Smith and not J.D. Davis who's losing some playing time uh, to to Jonathan VR? So I am not really concerned about the playing time for Dom Smith. And, and the biggest reason I'm not concerned about it is, like, have we watched, has everyone watched Dom Smith the last couple of seasons? What he did last year, 316, 377, 616, 10 homers in 199 plate appearances. The year before that, 282, 355, 525, 11 homers in 197 plate appearances. Like, Dom Smith, in that amount of time, so we're talking about 139 games played, about 400 plate appearances. So, plate appearance-wise, what, like two-thirds or so of a full season? He's been awesome. He has been great. A completely manageable K rate, 22.3 in 2019, 22.6 last year, a 9.6 walk rate in 2019, 7% in 2020. Like, why is his playing time in any sort of jeopardy? I don't think it is. I think that's something that we have built up. I don't think Luis Rojas is looking at Dom Smith as a part-time player, looking at him as a guy whose you know glove in the outfield is going to be a reason to take him out of the lineup. I do think there is an argument to be made that he could be a late-game replacement, that he could lose what would be a fourth or fifth trip to the plate in games that the Mets are winning, and they replace him for defensive purposes, and they do put Pilar or Elmora in there. I do agree, I do grant that there is some risk there. But still, I mean, if that's the risk we're talking about, I am perfectly comfortable with it, given what Dom Smith is going to do in those first three plate appearances or first four trips to the plate in games where he does end up losing a trip to the plate as a defensive replacement. And then, of course, just because he loses, uh, uh, just because he's taken out of the game for a defensive replacement doesn't mean he actually doesn't get a plate appearance. Uh, often those are going to come in the ninth inning when you know the Mets are going to finish it off and he wouldn't have got a plate appearance anyways. All of the playing time concerns for Dom Smith are significantly overblown. I think the player we've seen the last two years is the true Dom Smith, 26 years old this season. I absolutely love him. I have him across the board. He's a top 10 first baseman this season. Yeah, I think he could definitely get there. I mean, a 149 WRC plus over the last two seasons combined. So 49% better than a league average hitter. And I think you outlined the the more likely way 
playing time will be lost. It will be situations in which he wasn't going to hit anyway. Mm-hmm. So there probably are some some overblown playing time concerns that have really hampered him this draft season. Uh, I think the only other question I have is, do you think they're going to start him against lefties? Is he going to be a big side platoon guy who just mashes on the big side of the platoon? Or do you think they actually take him out in lefty-lefty matchups? I think he starts. I mean, again, like I think he has to. I think with what he's done the last two years, he has to. We're not talking about a guy who's just been merely good the last two years. 616 slugging percentage, DVR, 412 mm-hmm. Woba last year, right? 164 runs created, weighted runs created plus last year. He was awesome last year. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's the sort of guy who you go into the season thinking he's alongside platoon guy. Maybe he struggles against lefties, and that ultimately does happen. That, of course, is a risk with him too. But I don't think you ha- you start from that point with him, given how good he's been the last two years. Yeah, fair enough. I just I think that's like the one way the playing time could go wrong is if they find someone from the right side who they just think is a better option. Partially because Dominic Smith's not a good defensive outfielder either, right. so like that True. that also kind of like leads them to go. Oh, we get this righty that is okay as a hitter, but is a great defender. And depending on who's pitching and who the matchups against, that's how I see it maybe going wrong for him. I have no doubts about the bat. I think he's a great hitter. Yeah, and uh, I just don't. Uh, could it happen? Yes. I don't see it happening for the sake of you know getting Albert Elmore's glove into the lineup or Kevin Pillar's <laughs> and, and moving some. I just, I just. I can't buy it. Maybe I'm proven wrong. That's why these are bold predictions, but I am all in on Dom Smith this season. And we certainly hope that you are all in on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast all season because as the season goes, we're just getting started here on opening day. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. If you are out there watching this on YouTube one more time, if you are not an athletic subscriber, go to the athletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Get yourself a subscription for just $1 a month. And of course, if you're on Apple iTunes or iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where you can leave us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate if you did that. For Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. We are back with you on uh, over the weekend for our second fab episode of the season until then enjoy all the games have a great opening day and we'll talk to you soon